Welcome to Unpacking the Digital Shelf, where we explore brand manufacturing in the digital age. Hey everyone, Peter Crosby here from the Digital Shelf Institute. With Amazon's ad revenue now reaching around $10 billion a quarter, the discovery, research, and shopping experience on page one of search results has been dramatically transformed. But how? Does anyone know and know what you should do about it? Turns out, yes. Acadia, the digital agency for challenger brands, teamed up on a study with Analytic Index called In It to Win It, How Amazon is Pay-to-Play for Brands, Why That Matters, and What to Do to Win. How could we not get Kiri Masters, head of retail strategy at Acadia, on the podcast to talk about it? Kiri, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today and bringing us another great piece of research. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, and this one you're tackling a very important question for brands. Is is Amazon now pretty much a pay-to-play site in order to win search? Uh, you know, winning on search can help you grow your brand, but it also comes with a ton of investment and probably a ton of headaches. So uh, what did you set out, you know, how did you set out to answer this question? What are you hearing from brands? Yeah, definitely. Well, as you mentioned, it's something that a lot of brands and practitioners on the agency side, which is what I am, have long sort of hypothesized that this is the case, that you can't just show up to Amazon today and, you know, put up your product content and some brand content and expect anyone to be able to find your product or to actually build any sort of meaningful momentum momentum on Amazon. Sort of organic ain't what it used to be. Is that? Yeah, it's very it's very crowded. It's very competitive on Amazon. Um, it's where people are, people are shopping, but it's also where brands understand that's where shoppers are shopping. So you need a way to to stick out um, amongst all of the other brands and. Um, and there's some strategies that are that are well discussed, like conquesting and things like that. But there's still this sort of question for a lot of brands of, well, how much, you know, how competitive is it? What do I and what does showing up and participating really look like for my brand and my category as well? And Kiri, I'm curious, some of the numbers that you shared in terms of what the real estate on the page actually looks like, it's fascinating to me. Like, what does it look like for sponsored ads versus organic search results now on Amazon? Yeah, exactly. So to answer this question about is to what extent is Amazon pay to play and what does that mean for an individual brand within a category? Uh, we partnered up with one of our um, our uh, uh, technology partners, Analytic Index, who actually looked at over 600,000 brands um, in various categories and did some really fancy modeling to figure out from a volume weighted standpoint um, how organic visibility is affected by uh, paid placements as well. So there's a few different things that came out of that, which I'm sure we're going to get into different questions that we were able to answer. The, the one the, the question that you asked Lauren about placements, is quite a simple one, and it's something that uh, well, simple, simple to ask and simple to get a general feel of when you go onto Amazon.com, which is when you're doing a search for anything really, whether it's toothpaste or you know a, a cocktail dress, you're going to see a lot of ads, and um, some consumers 
are not even really aware that they're ads, but certainly for people who are in the game, you can just see sponsored products, sponsored, you know, headline search ad or a, or a brand, sponsored brand ad, display ads. You kind of, once you understand what an ad looks like, you just see them everywhere. And so this is a very interesting phenomenon where we, we wanted to track, well, how, what percentage of real estate on Amazon is taken up by ads and um, the the quantitative finding that we that we got to was percentage of sponsored slots on page one by category or department. So for the electronics department, that is the department that has the most the highest percentage of sponsored slots versus organic slots, and that was at just over twenty one percent. So twenty one percent of the page is taken up by sponsored slots. And that doesn't include sort of other um, sort of gray area uh, placements like editorial editorial placements or Amazon's own brands. They kind of get some, you know, special treatment sometimes. So, um, yes, is Amazon pay to play? Well, yeah, actually in the electronics category, it, you know, 21% of real estate is taken up by ads. So a couple of different ways to skin the cat in terms of figuring out is Amazon pay to play? This is one that you can, any anyone going to amazon.com and searching in different categories can see just how um, how much real estate is taken up by ads. Well, and we just did a fresh piece of research that's coming out. Um, it either by the time this rolls will have uh, already come out or, or will be shortly coming out. And one of the questions we asked is, you know, where do you go to discover products? And Amazon was number one by a significant margin, particularly in, in the U.S. Mm. by an EMEA. Australia, less so, probably due in part to Amazon's presence there. But then in-store, then search engine, then retailer site, then retailer shopping app. So mm. you really can't afford to leave it to chance anymore because it is the discovery engine for a lot of consumers. That's really interesting. And and there is a big difference, and we might start getting into the weeds here, but you're, when you're talk, as you're talking about discovery, it can be a discovery platform because people are there. They might be searching for something specific, but because of what we we can bid on in terms of keywords, we might have a general idea that someone who is looking for, for example, um, last night, um, my son and I were looking for fake spiders because we're planning on playing a lot of pranks um, over Christmas. <laughs> and so, you know, someone who's searching for, for fake spiders, you know, then, then I was seeing all kinds of like costumes or other like prank ideas. So I had something specific in mind and that's the way that a lot of activity occurs on Amazon. Someone has something specific in mind, but you're also, Amazon's also building up an understanding of what is that person interested in? What are they in the market for? And that is the type of, you know, audience targeting that we can do with advertising to help drive discovery and use Amazon, not just as a bottom of funnel um, advertising vehicle to meet someone where they're at when they're looking for fake spiders. but. <laughs> I, love the, I love your idea of holiday bonding. <laughs> it's the gentle cruelty of mother and son. Yeah. <laughs> relatives and this friends. This is going to come out after Christmas. So all the prices are going to be We'll so. have to do a little, little catch-up episode on how it all went. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, but yes, it's, I, I think the general point of discovery versus bottom of funnel is a really good point to make because as we found in some of the other um, frameworks that we developed from this research, there is 
definitely a direct relationship between sponsorship or advertising and um and organic visibility, but there's still, there's a real maturity curve involved here as well. And we've talked um, previously about the maturity of certain brands and their adoption of e-commerce, but something that that was interesting that we found was um, some of these brands that have a real legacy, so a Nike or even a Crocs or a Lego, uh, Disney, Brands that have invested in brand marketing for a long time outside of Amazon, they people are searching for Lego. They're, they're, they're sort of, they can go into this naturally high performers category where they have so much equity and recognition. You know, they don't necessarily need to be as active on with, with advertising on Amazon as a brand that is really trying to break through would be. So there's what we came up with was a, a matrix that kind of shows four different sort of um, uh, four different categories of brands. It could be naturally high performers that have a lot of legacy, a lot of brand recognition, um, the pay to play segment where you know that you're you know that your advertising is actually really paying off. Um, the no-go zone where these brands are spending a lot of money on advertising, but they're not actually they're not actually seeing any organic search visibility um, payoff from that. And then, you know, at, at the, the, the law of averages, there's a lot of brands in a zone where they're not really spending adequately out or getting the organic search um, relative to peers in that category. And Kiri, I feel like this kind of changes the game with how brands think about success in search. Meaning we used to say like top 10 uh, spots on search was like a goal for a metric uh, for your brand. But if some of those spots are taken up by sponsored ads or Amazon specific brand, what's left from an organic standpoint that you can actually achieve success? Like, have you yes. seen brands totally reevaluate the KPI about search? to be able to define what success looks like? Yeah, that's that's a really good question. I think it's going to, um, I think an important question there is whether a brand is focused on uh, revenue growth or uh, some kind of growth metric, market share, category share, something like that, versus something more profitability related, contribution margin, ROAS, those kinds of things. That's really going to dictate how aggressive you might be in taking out those top slots. Um, so, and then also what your competitors are doing. So you might be, uh, you, you might place really well organically, but you have a super aggressive competitor who's conquesting your brand term. Um that might be that might be a position that you want to defend, but you're going to have to be willing to pay for that. And so, for a lot of brands, um, they might take the position that I don't want to pay for a placement that I might have might be able to achieve organically. Well, guess what? There's there's probably some competitors lining up to bid on your brand term if if you're not, and that's pretty easy a pretty easy win for them if you're not actually paying to defend that. But it's going to come down to that um, objective, which is a, a, something that I, I always try to, to bring brands back to when um, they're, they're looking at what the strategy, 
what their strategy should be because it's going to be quite different brand to brand depending on whether they are a challenger brand looking to make up market share or if they're a legacy brand that is sort of you know towards the end of the maturity cycle and they're they're not necessarily prepared to defend their position um in the face of of that being of of lowering their contribution margin or something like that so it's going to depend a little bit on on what the brand objectives are but we'd like to look at both uh share of voice for sponsored and then organic as as well depending on what the brand's real objective is so Kiri, one of the so you this sponsorship lift matrix is mm. is pretty cool the way you have it kind of laid out your upper left quadrant organic winners which is very few uh and then the pay to play on the right which seems to be i mean when you use these these uh four you know four box things usually that's sort of where you want to be yep um and and then there's a bunch of people way over on the left bottom and sort of the free market the one i'd love to just zoom in on for a second is the wasted spend one because that yes. you know i would imagine would drive a stake in anyone's heart and so what are the yes. practices that land you there and what are your advice for how to make sure you're not in that dreaded bottom right box yes absolutely and and you're right the organic winners that's where that's very aspirational but this is re really the place for the you know crests of the world or legos or Nike, like I like I mentioned, um, and wasted spend definitely that's where you don't want to be. So just as a as a quick anecdote, we did some um, we did an audit for a brand using this framework, which we can do if you're a brand that's in the top 250 of your category. We can do some um, we can we can show where you're showing up on this sponsorship payoff matrix. Just to get in touch with us. Um, we did this analysis for a brand. And then sort of got in, got into a little bit of like what what does your next competitor look like in in this matrix? And it turns out that this brand was spending about seven times more than they needed to based on what we knew their next competitor was spending on on advertising. So that's one sort of very real takeaway that if if you're aware that you're in this wasted spend quadrant. Um, and there's a few different ways to go about measuring this and determining it. You can find out that you're not spending, you're spending more than you really need to. And that's going to be music to anyone's ears um, to, to understand that maybe you could move some of that, that funding from brand over to bottom of funnel or something like that. Sometimes it's just about reallocating to a different kind of strategy. But that was one particular instance where we were able to see like you, you could actually you could afford to be spending a lot less here and get more or less the same result. So Kira, I think in what you were saying, I heard maybe an offer that I just want to say <laughs> you were saying, hey, if you want to know where you're on in this matrix, reach out. Is that something that yes, is this an absolutely. offer for the DSI listening audience? And uh, is LinkedIn the best way to reach you? Because that kind of info sounds pretty valuable. Yeah, absolutely. So this um, this analysis, we really just reach into the top 250 brands in per category. Okay. So if you are a, a, a smaller brand, it's the vault, it, it just not going to show up on on the in the data here. But um, yeah, certainly reach out to me. You can reach out to me on LinkedIn, Kiri Masters, or drop me in drop me an email. Um, 
lots of different ways to reach me. I'm pretty responsive. <laughs> <laughs> I can vouch for that. So are you finding that that uh, this sort of matrix looks the same across all categories? Like you had mentioned earlier, like electronics is 21.6% sponsored and personal care and beauty or mm-hmm. 14.2. Like what, what are some of the really sort of category differentiations that you pick up on? Yeah, well, this is where it's really interesting to see how much more, so so the, the percentage of real estate really speaks to competitiveness. Um, and then there was some other analysis that we did looking at the correlation between sponsorship activity or advertising and organic visibility. So doing a correlation, some kind of a fancy correlation that um, is called a volume weighted R square. Don't ask me to define what that is, but, um, you know, a very smart statistic. Sounds official. Yes. <laughs> um, so looking at that correlation um, and the departments that have a high correlation, this is where, you know, they're going to see a really strong relationship between ads and organic lift. So the top two categories there in terms of correlation are electronics at close to 70% correlation and then beauty and personal care at close to Six, uh, at just over 64%. And then by comparison, the lowest correlation categories are gourmet and grocery food, 31%, and clothing, shoes, and jewelry at 22%. And we were speculating between me and, and our partners analytic index here, um, we're speculating why would that be? And I'm open to other theories on this, but our our theory really here was that we're talking about high and low margin categories here. So electronics and beauty and personal care, um, you know, often, not always, often fairly high margin categories, whereas grocery and food and and apparel um, less so. Um, And then also like on the maturity curve again of like which categories um came online fastest electronics we've been able to buy electronics for a long time online and grocery is more of a recent um a recent purchase that people have made um on online recently so just you know general my general experience is that grocery brands are um you know really starting to wake up to the retail media opportunity whereas electronics brands have been advertising on, you know, eBay back in the day for a really, really long time. So this is much more part of their DNA than a grocery brand. So Kiri, in your data, it also showed a bit about an always-on approach versus a specific sponsorship approach. So I'm I'm really interested to, to hear your takeaways on that because I know brands are really trying to balance, should there be an always-on strategy? Should it be just a specific event? What did you see from the data? Yes. So I, I was really excited to dig into this with some real data because again, again, this is a this is a very um, like this is a topic that people have strong opinions about, um, and it's usually based on a small number of data points uh, or some personal experience. So we did a deep dive into the hair dryer category around Prime Day. Um, of this of 2022, so summertime prime day, um, to help answer that question. So we looked at a um, an always on strategy for 
two brands and then a double down strategy for one brand where they really just kind of dipped in and out over Prime Day. So the always one brand doing using a, an always on strategy is Conair. Conair is a widely distributed brand, has lots of brand recognition, and they have constant levels of sponsorship. And then we also wanted to look at a challenger brand in that category. So there's one called Tymo, T-Y-M-O. Um, so a smaller brand does not have the brand recognition, and they both had fairly constant levels of sponsorship before Prime Day. And then like had had some increase in sponsorship on Prime Day and then went back to their maintenance mode after that. So for both of those brands, both Conair and Timo, their organic performance directly followed the trend of their sponsorship. So suggesting sort of minimal like long-term impact from their Prime Day activity, but we could see that their always-on strategy produced sort of a consistent result. And then we compared that outcome with two brands um, that doubled down on advertising around Prime Day, one uh, the the one uh, Babyless Pro, um, that's a widely distributed brand that ramped up sponsorship leading up to Prime Day, but stopped sponsorship after that point. So for that company, in the long term, their Prime Day bump in organic search performance barely lasted a week as their sponsorship activity trended down um, and organic performance followed soon after that as well. And then in the fourth example, we looked at Drybar. Drybar is a newer brand. Um, they heavily increased sponsorship around Prime Day and then continued with a similar level of sponsorship after. So they sort of ramped it up and then kept it up. And the long-term lift in organic performance looks much more correlated with the long-term change in sponsorship activity um, while Prime Day actually did little to change the trend of gradually increasing performance. So overall, you know, from those data points, looking at increased Prime Day sponsorship, it does produce a short-term improvement in visibility, but search performance tends to go back towards the mean shortly after that. And long-term gains come from sponsorship and, um, you know, cons consistent ad spend over time rather than just, you know, jumping in and out around sales events. But that must be tough. I mean, you know, when, when you think about, you know, overall strategy for ad spend and on both sides, you know, uh, we often talk to brands from both sides of that of that um, separation, and each of them complains about the other, <laughs> rightly so, in terms of how they impact their business. You know, the the challenger brands are like, I don't have that kind of budget to go in and like flood the zone, and and so they feel very much behind the the eight ball on that. And the more mature ones are like, uh, I can't get the sort of the fizzy attention, and the, they are very good at. At uh, at their experiences online, and that tends to, and their relationships with their consumer, and that drives sort of maybe more organic uh, success for them. So, mm -hmm. uh, with the budget, with often the budget restrictions that challenger brands have, and so that's probably why they're sort of flooding the zone at events and then disappearing. Like, what is your advice on both sides of those um, separations based on the data that you saw? 
Yeah, so this this is a particularly important question for seasonal brands to think about as well. If you're a if you're a brand that is uh, has has a peak season over the winter months, then you might feel like it's a good idea to to drop off in the summer. But depending on what your competitors are doing, that could actually be a really good time to be building up that audience. Um, people are still doing research and considering purchases during those months. And particularly if your competitors have, have gone quiet during that period, that's going to be great. That's going to produce a really good um, return for you. You can build up um, audiences that you could retarget later on, et, et cetera, as well. So I would I would caution people to um, look, look into the activity of competitors in their direct subcategory to see what's what's really going on there but certainly from our experience as an agency and certainly from the some of the data points here it does suggest just jumping in and out of big sales events and and um having that be the focus is not really going to drive a meaningful long-term lift and especially if we think back to that sponsorship lift matrix you want to get out of that wasted ad spend quadrant and into the quadrant, which is you know that dollars that you're putting into advertising are actually driving a meaningful effect on your organic visibility too. With the maximum, sort of the, the most efficient spend that you can achieve. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Yep. yeah. Well, Carrie, this partnership between uh, you folks and Analytic Index, it's a really great combination of of data and strategy. And, and uh, I love that that you worked with them. We, we love Nathan and the folks at Analytic Index. They're on the pod recently. It just, it resulted in a really interesting report that I think should drive a lot of uh, deep thinking uh, at brands that are thinking about their 2023 ad strategy. So just a reminder uh, that you, you did make that lovely offer that if people want to sort of get where they are on the matrix, they can reach out to you. And in addition to the kind offer from Kiri, you can also get the report if you'd like at acadia.io slash pay to play, pay to play, all one word. Uh, so Kiri, thank you so much for, for the great thought leadership and, and for coming on the podcast. We always love having you. Thank you again for having me. Yeah, great, great to talk about this and move the conversation forward. Thanks, Kiri. Thanks again to Kiri for sharing all these insights. Again, get the report at acadia.io slash pay to play. Become a member to keep getting all these super cool offers of help from experts by going to the top of the homepage at digitalshelfinstitute.org and clicking the become a member button. Thanks for being part of our community.